Welcome to Her Talks, a conversation on why women's health matters now, presented by Her Healthy Q. Her Healthy Q is a global nonprofit focused on deploying medical equipment to improve women's health in underserved regions worldwide. Her Talks is our quarterly panel with innovators, researchers, healthcare professionals, philanthropy experts, and more, where we discuss how we can use our strength to achieve women's health equity. In this episode of Her Talks, Her Healthy Q is joined by Zoe Thompson, the ESG Social Strategy Leader for KPMG, Mary Scully, a board member at Gisley, and Marissa Fayer, the CEO of Her Healthy Q. In this episode, the women discuss the different aspects of social good, the criticisms of CSR, and different approaches to DEI. All of their social media accounts and anything you hear in this panel, including a transcript, will be available in the show notes at rss.com her talks. I'm so excited to share with you volume 11 of Her Talks, putting the S in ESG. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Her Talks, a discussion about women, health, and related topics that are critical for our forward movement. ESG is always a hot topic, and it's become a buzzword, and we'll talk about this later, potentially a checkbox, even though it has the intention of being impactful and making a difference in the world across so many sectors, including in healthcare. For us at Her Healthy Q and so many people around the world, the current and future state of the S in ESG is really always on our mind. And improving healthcare for women is an imperative, not only in this country, but around the world. When women don't have their health, they are not able to contribute to their community, their family, and their society. And that absolutely negatively impacts everyone and every industry in every area of the world. So even if you're not in in healthcare, ESG matters for everybody. And I just, I know we're talking about it because we're all familiar here, but I just wanted to kind of give the the audience the definition. ESG is environmental, social, and corporate governance. And so whether you're a massive consulting firm, you are in media, you're an advisor and you're consulting, or you're working internally at a company, um, or like me, a global women's health nonprofit, the social impact part of ESG is vital for your business. So I'm Marissa Fair, the CEO of Her Healthy Q, and I'm honored to moderate this episode of Her Talks, which is a discussion series where we bring together differing minds, perspectives, and industries to talk about a chosen topic. This month, we're focused on the S in ESG and why that's so important and how to focus on it. Her Healthy Q's mission is to improve women's health by providing healthcare equipment to developing countries with a focus on women's health non-communicable diseases, because those are diseases that can be detected, prevented, and treated with equipment if only they had it. Impact is core to what we do as we both benefit from it and distribute equipment to create impact. So I'm humbled and honored to do, to be joined by these incredible panelists, and I'm going to let them briefly introduce themselves, and then we're going to go into the discussion. But we have Zoe Thompson, who's a social strategy lead um, at KPMG, and Mary Scully, who's um, a founding member at Kindred and also a highly sought after consultant. So I'm going to have Zoe, Mary, you guys introduce themselves, and then we'll go into our chat. Okay, great. Thanks, Marissa. So Zoe Thompson, I as Marissa mentioned, I'm with KPMG, which, I, what did you call us, a massive consulting firm? Yes, massive. Yeah, okay, a massive consulting firm. So professional well, you're not mid-sized, firm. so it is massive. No, it, it is. <laughs> and, and I lead social strategy. So the S and ESG, that is what I oversee. And that includes a variety of topics for us, but health equity is obviously a huge one. And 
I think especially with some of the recent headlines, I mean, this is definitely top of mind for a lot of people, mm -hmm. but our, our role within KPMG is to help organizations. So that could include the for-profit sector as well as, as governments and non-profit organizations really drive social impact and the different elements of, of S across their own communities and the communities where they work. Hi, uh, I'm Mary Scully. I am formerly um, a media exec who ended my media career by beginning with the beginning of the creation of a global impact strategy for Turner and Warner Media. And after I left Warner Media, I have I have started my own consultancy. And what I do is work with brands and work with members of ESG or parts of this of ESG parts of businesses to be able to help global corporations talk about, and also media companies talk about their ESG efforts and uh, enable them to make an impact on these efforts and make these efforts known, which has really been important. It's kind of a, it's not a, it's not a, it's not a small topic. It's not an easy topic, which is why you even hear me fumbling because there's so many ways into this conversation. Um, and I'm, I've been lucky enough to have dealt with hundreds of brands and executives along my career to help start these conversations. And that's what I'm really doing now is, is making sure that these conversations continue and they move along for various reasons that we'll probably get into. It's more important than ever to for a brand to share their impact story in, a, in an authentic and relevant way. So thanks for having me. No, of course. Ladies, thank you so much, so much for being here. So in our pre-chat, there were some similar themes that you know came up between all of us mm -hmm. and you know what we're working and we're passionate about. Um, mm -hmm. The social and ESG is obviously how it's related to impacts, you know, what we're, you know, we're all doing different things and how to incorporate that into companies and exactly what Mary was just saying. So um, I, I think we're just gonna jump in. So so let me start with you. You work with many types of companies as part of you know, mm -hmm. your work with KPMG. So yep. Can you tell us how you approach incorporating this S into the, you know, of ESG into their companies? Because I know it differs upon the type of sure. company and, and also what they want. Right, right. Well, so it really starts with, I mean, the, the first question is, so why are you doing this? Mm. You know, we talk a lot about our personal why, and it's very much the same for companies. So why are you interested in this topic? And we see a huge range. We have some companies that go, well, I mean, I'm required to do some things by the SEC, and therefore I wanna talk about reporting. And then you have companies that'll say, this is the, the S part, whether it's diversity and inclusion, whether it's health equity, whether it's human rights, this is something that is really critical to my business. This is, this is a topic that needs to be embedded in what I do and how I interface with my customers, with my employees, with my shareholders, with my board. So the first question is like, really, like, what are you after here? And some companies are like, I just want to stay off the bad list. And some companies say, I actually think this is either something that's important to my values or potentially could be something that I need to be focusing on to attract more customers. Not that it's a money grab. I don't want to imply that. But um, we see a whole range of 
is it, do you see this as a risk mitigation conversation or do you see this as a way to potentially capture more opportunity? So that's the first question. And that really helps guide a lot. Um, when I have a client that goes, can we just, you know, do some benchmarking? I want to see how I'm doing relative to my peers. I'm going to have a very different conversation that, mm -hmm. than I am with a, a company that says, you know what, this is really important to who we are. This is important to our brand. And we want, we want to make this something that we don't just talk about, but is really embedded in our DNA. I think what's really interesting, though, is and another part of that conversation is, do you think of this primarily as CSR, which is great and wonderful and really important, or is this something that's baked into your internal operations? And that's a very different conversation as well. And, you know, how much is this penetrating what you do? Is this part of a PL? You know, what is that? So that's really the first question is, what are you going after? Why is this important? Why are you talking to us about this? And then the second question that leads from that is, all right, what are you trying to do? Is this a reporting conversation? Is this an operations conversation? Is this embedded in your performance management? And then we can start to talk about, well, what are you actually trying to accomplish and who needs to be at the table for this? Because what we're finding, especially in the issue across the board, it's not so siloed or rather it needs to not be so siloed in order to be effective. So are you are usually our first conversation with a lot of exploratory questions to go help us understand and we can help you figure out how to how to respond. And I imagine your approach based on the responses is quite different. Oh yeah. Oh totally. Okay. Totally. Like I said, I'm gonna have a very different conversation with a client that's just like, I want to do benchmarking, I want to get in and want to get out and I want to make this as simple and straightforward and cost effective as possible is very different than the company that goes, you know what, there's a real opportunity here to change things. And I want to know how I can be part of that conversation. And who can I partner with? So they become very different conversations. And, and that's what's exciting about it. And as a colleague of mine used to say, hey, it's a journey, not a judgment. And I was like, yeah, that's fair. You know, so it's not going in saying this is how you must do it but it's saying, where do you fall on that spectrum? And how can we help you be effective in a way that's going to be authentic? Or how do we help you ask the questions that may challenge some of your thinking to end up in a better place? So interesting. Um, Mary, one of the things that you said in your intro and obviously in our pre-talk, uh, you know, in coming from the media space and now you're focusing on the brands that wanna implement this impact and social impact, you know, is this a requirement for companies to do like, you know, exactly kind of what, you know, what Zoe was saying, how they, how she approaches different, you know, customers and, and clients that come in, but like, is this a requirement for customers? Do they really have a choice anymore? And like, what have you been seeing in a lot of the people that you you're starting to work with? And I mean, let me put the caveat out there. Of course, they're coming to you because they want to implement this. So sure. I get, it's probably biased towards, yes, they want to, but I mean, do you feel like, or do they, do your clients feel like they have to, like, this is a requirement, you know, very much exactly what Zoe was saying. It's a different conversation. Well, let's, I'm, I'm going to just back up and say yeah. a couple of things. When I started this work, we were talking to brands about their CSR efforts, mm -hmm. which was the cause of the business. And then we started to see based on the work we did with clients and their consumers that Gen Z's, and Wall Street's were demand. Wall Street was demanding to understand what a brand stood for. Now, roll up to today, and there's a political element in this that I it's called woke ESG or whatever they're saying. Like I have to leave that noise out. So I'm going to go back to the fact and leave the USA in its own box out because 
if you think about it, the 17 sustainable development goals are the standard by which all cause purpose ESG rolls into. And so I had worked at Turner where I started this practice with my team based on the fact that we understand that this was where this, this was a, this was a, a trend that was really starting to roll. And I didn't put this together as I joined the company, but Ted Turner had given a billion dollars to the UN, which started, which founded the UN, um, UN Office of Partnerships, which founded the, the 17 Sustainable Development Goals. I, I, it was a collaboration, but, but be that as it may. So every single one of the 17 goals is important to most corporations. But if, and I said this in the pre-call, it's all about the, the CEOs of these global corporations all have a report out, all have, depending if it's a Heineken and water or whatever the brand is, what every brand takes from, from the world or every brand has to engage in ESG. It's just a matter of where, where, when and where they are in their, in their process. So if you're asking me from my view, if they all feel they have to, they do, but it's not necessarily a mandate from the CEO. Right, so we would deal with the chief marketing officer who didn't yeah. call the chief sustainability officer. Now and now they're becoming one. So every brand is different. Every business is different. Every marketplace is different. But I would say this, seven years ago, very few people were talking about it. Now, if you think about, right now everybody is over in Cannes, the, 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 the creativity conference and I've seen, and, I, and I've been there, and we launched this at Cannes a few years ago. You see ESG, you see impact in the conversation now where you did not. It's an evolution. And when I talk to a brand or, or a, a publisher, it really is about where you are in the journey and depending on you know, where you put the pin in at that moment. I know that's really not a great answer, but I guess the best answer is that it's much more important now because, and, and I, I don't, I'm not saying I disagree with what Zoe said, but all these businesses are businesses and they're there to make money. So if, if I'm, if a consumer, especially a financial company, if I'm not going to pay attention to a cause and a purpose, Gen Z's are not going to invest with me. They're not going to work for me. And from Britain, they're not going to buy from me. So it, it's a, if you're thinking about your internal ESG practice or S practice, it's very different than your external. But all in all, it all rolls up together where you have to carefully come out with a stand. And that's the whole thing, like brands have to take a stand. And now, and I'm going on a little long here, now it's getting tricky in the US. But I feel like everyone should be able to handle that. Right. And it's funny because like, it sounds like, and I've been hearing this as well. This is like, this is a Gen Z thing. Like what happens if all of a sudden Gen Z wouldn't, you know, wasn't caring about this? Would, would this have happened anyway? I mean, and I wonder, like a lot of people are doing it because it's required and then people are talking about it. So everybody else wants to talk about it. And so now it's a topic of conversation. If, if Gen Z decided, you know, I mean, years ago, whatever, that they weren't going to make this an issue, 
I am almost scared for humanity that, um, <laughs> that, that, that this was not going to be a topic, you know, right? So, um, you know, it's great that it's being forced by them. But I almost feel like even before they were entering the workforce, you know, Mary, you know, Zoe, you guys were seeing it, I would hope before yeah. it's just been accelerated and focused on more. Well, I think there's a couple different things too. I mean, we talked about this a little bit in the pre-call. I mean, part of it, yeah, no question. There's a generational aspect to it. I mean, if you look at the the silent generation of the boomers and look at their buying habits compared to Gen Z, yeah, there, there's some definite differences. But in addition, I mean, let's not forget the business community saying a lot of ESG is about risk mitigation because there is an acknowledgement that ESG issues lead to business risk. And so you also have investors going, hold on a second here. If you can't ensure supply chain reliability, all right? So if I go, I don't know where my suppliers are getting their employees. They could potentially be um, leveraging workers who are not, who shouldn't be working because of their age or because of other, you know, really bad conditions. And therefore I can't get my product to market that's an issue that affects my ability to sustain my business. You know, in a similar fashion, if I'm working and if climate change affects my ability to predict weather, which affects my business, that's also a business risk. So yeah, Gen Z saying, hey, this is important to us is, is, is certainly critical. But if you look at information and data and our appreciation of how this ecosystem works, there's a business issue associated with this too. This isn't just an idealistic, this is important because we want to save the world. There's certainly an aspect of it, but there's also a growing appreciation of, look, we've got to get a better handle. We have to be more predictable and what our business outcomes are. And if we don't understand how environment and social affects our business, that limits our ability to manage our business, which investors and shareholders and boards of directors rightly are saying that's not good enough. So I appreciate that. And I think Gen Z deserves a lot of credit. But the business community deserves credit, too, for recognizing that this is complex. It's always been about managing limited resources, understanding the best way to deploy limited resources. I now understand their complexities include environment and social. They always have. But I have greater transparency and greater accountability, and that's a good thing. Well, I also think that you mentioned a couple of things. You mentioned data and the, I have to go back to Gen Z for a second because the most eluded, elusive data set is the Gen Z. How do you reach them? How do you engage them? And brands really need to have a closer relationship, a diff, deeper and different experience than just putting, you know, a 30 second ad in on a network television show because that doesn't even, that doesn't count anymore, right? So how do they reach them? And you, and everybody's creating messages of more of a one-to-one -one conversation with their consumers, whether they're B2B or B2C. Mm -hmm. So I will, I will say that the way that media works and the way that, and you know that there have been some misfires with some ESG um, conversations and there have never been a greater, I don't think, focus on women than there is now, right? So where does that come from? I would say millennials and Gen Z, right? So, and they really care. So you, it also, we talked about the, we talked about the transfer of wealth from boomers 
to millennials and Gen Z's, the greatest transfer of wealth in our history. So all of these brands are looking for lifetime value with these consumers and all to, and to invest. So it's sort of, it, it sort of meets back at the consumer and the consumer who, who cares. Like think about your kids, your niece, your nephews, people in their twenties. There's no, there's no like gender or, or gender issues with them. It comes from way back into our age and beyond. As women get entering the workforce, it was very different for us than it is now, right? So it's so, so equality, access, women's health, it all works together. We think about, like I remember Andy who's, who introduced, Andy Levy who's, who's introdu who introduced us all, talked to me once about, we're talking about some sustainability effort in one of the, you know, one of the, a third world, if you will, country and how they were making stoves for women. So they weren't cooking with fire because that would really you know, put their health at a disadvantage. And then they were able to be healthy and they could go to school or they could go to get their water, which changed everything. You know, the, the, it's so, it's almost remedial, but it's so important. And it all, it, everything, everything goes back to the individual, right? All of these stories, and these are all stories to be told. I remember the you know first story was that I had seen in, in my business was, was Microsoft, and it, it really this speaks back to the work you do. Microsoft taking some of their technology into the deepest parts of Africa to help women, you know, have their children. Like that is that's what you do, and that's what you know the younger generation cares about more now than others. So brands have to care as well. And I don't know if that's going in like a, a figure eight to you guys, but it all completely keeps going in a circular fashion. Well, it just means that everybody has to focus on it now and it's part of it, but it's so, it's so super interesting because I read, I read a pitch book article that indicated that some people and investors are just considering ESG factors. You know, some of them are considering that it's integral to making and managing, you know, prudent investments and returns. And well, then others are thinking that it's a distraction and um, it's sacrificing yeah. returns and people right. are just like making a checkbox. So, I mean, like, is, you know, is ESG a checkbox? Are we kind of, you know, in this greenwashing of the social part? You know, it sounds like obviously we're all in this space, so we don't think that. And, you know, Zoe, you were saying that, you know, people are demanding this. Mary, you're saying that this is being demanded from everybody. But I mean, there was literally just like two weeks ago, another Pitchbrook article that said, there's still people who think that this is a checkbox and a distraction. Right. So, I mean, it's, does this fall under, you know, that silly term greenwashing, the social of ESG? Like, you know, it's, and that's kind of what happened for a while with the E in ESG. And now mm -hmm. it's like having a resurgence. I mean, what or not, or it's being squashed at the same time. Fully squashed, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, so two two thoughts on that. So one, um, for those who haven't already heard the term green hushing, yeah. I think that is at least as interesting as greenwashing, if not more so. So you know, greenwashing is basically, hey, we're gonna we're gonna pretty up our actions and we're gonna make ourselves look better than we really are because we think there's some benefits for looking like we're aligned with ESG. Green hushing is the reverse. And it says, I'm not gonna talk about it. Now, what's really interesting, there was an article in the Wall Street Journal not too long ago that talked about this and said, companies aren't doing less, but they're talking less. And that's a really important distinction. Another headline that I saw recently said, ESG is dead. 
long live E, S, and G. And so you actually do see a lot of companies going ESG for a variety of reasons that may, maybe it's, um, I hesitate to use the word political, but it, it, it has baggage, uh, certainly. But a lot of companies go, but I'm still doing the same stuff. I'm still focusing on E because it makes sense. I'm still focusing on S because by golly, it's important for my business. G, probably even more. And probably even more. That's yeah. But in some cases, they really are. They are green hushing or, you know, there's not really a great term for social. So I think you are finding that. What's also fascinating is that back to the whole business value. So if you talk about and we talk a lot about the consumer, but what about the employees? I mean, we have employees that say, I don't want I don't want to work for a company that doesn't offer benefits the way that I think are important. I don't wanna work for a company that doesn't have the values that I think, that I don't know where the profits are going. You have a lot of employees saying, I wanna work for a company that takes a social stand in whatever that case is. I wanna work for a company that looks like this. And so companies may say, I don't wanna talk about ESG, but I need employees. And this is important to my employees, I'm gonna do it. And so you see a little bit of that too, of can we just not call it that, but we still want to do the same stuff. And that's either encouraging or discouraging, I guess, depending on your point of view. I mean, to some extent, it's like, okay, um, if you're getting hung up on the terms, but not the concepts, we can probably manage through that. I would rather you care about the concepts and call it something different than really like the terms and not actually do anything of any meaning. Oh, for sure. For sure. Well, I mean, it will depend on who you are, right? I mean, I wonder what it's like to be a target employee right now after what just happened around gay pride. And I wonder who are the, what is the segment of their consumers and their followers that yeah. really didn't like what they were selling? right? Because Target's known to be the most liberal, one of the most liberal and engaged on equality. But a, it's, it's like, the, it's like the, the, it's like the small segments of people who would call the TV stations and don't, don't run this ad or, or, you know, you know how that used to work. It was much different in the past, but the crowd mention of the problem of selling those, you know, queer items became larger than the actuality of people who cared or didn't care, right? So it's like, who are these corporations listening to? Are they listening to their employees? Are they, are they listening, are they yeah. listening to their shareholders? Or is it really stakeholder value or shareholder value? How did that go? Well, right. It, and is it engaging internal, like is the key to engage internal stakeholders to make sure that this is part of the business? I mean, is it, I'm asking, you know, the question from both of you, is this the, is that the way to go? Cause we were just talking about employees need to be happy, cultural, you know, cu culture in a company is based on the employees. Right. So it, are there internal stakeholders that really, they're the ones that need to implement these practices and, you know, are they the keys to success? Because you can have the CEO saying this, 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 and then this, right. Right. and nobody cares because it's like the CEO talking. Right. You know, or is it everybody pushing from underneath and it's like the CEO and the executives have no choice because they have to, because everybody internally, or maybe, I mean, the hope is that both people are pushing and that everybody's into it, 
let's just hope. But um, I mean, what do you guys think? Like, how, is it the internal stakeholders that are really going to be setting, you know, the ESG, the strategy and pushing the, the, the social and push, pushing the impact or how does it have to happen? It's, I don't, I don't think the internal, I think there's different roles to play. So the setting of the strategy, no, I think that's typically going to come from the, from the, the C-suite, senior level leadership, occasionally the board, but are the other stakeholders key to implementation? Absolutely. No question. I mean, if it's just leader, leader led, it's not going to happen. And, and what that looks like really depends on the company, but it's how is, how is this embedded in operations? Does every single employee understand how this actually affects her job or his job? Um, is it part of performance management? Is it clear in your recruiting practices? You know, how consistent is this, which goes back to, and why are you doing this? And I, I think one of the things, and Mary touched on this, I think a little bit earlier, from what I can see, it's going to get harder and harder to either claim ignorance or be neutral, is you're going to have to pick pick how you feel about this, because you're going to get asked. You're going to ask, what is your perspective in ESG? And I think the kind of like, hey, I just want to stay out of the fray is going to get harder and harder. And so it's like the advice isn't don't have an opinion. The advice is think about it, you know, because you're going to get questioned. If you have an opinion that doesn't hold up under scrutiny, that is greenwashing. If you think you can remain neutral to avoid offending anybody, that's going to get harder and harder to do. Right. So, so figure out what your side is and look at it and go, and how consistently are we talking about this? How consistently are we implementing this? If I talk to my average employee who's closest to however I make money, which is really, you know, the litmus test is that does the person who is in charge of you actually making money understand how their job is affected by what you're saying? Do they understand this? Do they see how consistent it is? And that I think will really be the determinant of is this working or not? Or are you going to get accused of performative action? Or are you going to get accused of greenwashing? You know, how do you play how do you play it out across the board? And how did you take a stand? And does that stand align with what you're also telling your your shareholders and your internal and external stakeholders? Right. And it also speaks to responsibility. They have a responsibility to be a certain way. And how do you hold up to the scrutiny? Because the scrutiny will change with the times, right? So yeah. I work with a, I'm working with a, with a, with a global spirits brand and I know how much they care about equity and sustainability. And I know from conversations to seeing the headwinds changing quite a bit, they are prepared to take black because this is their stand. I know the CEO of, of, of another large um, company, global company, who is the same way. It's about, I think the leadership sets the tone mm -hmm. and that really rolls through the whole organization. And it's the same conversation internally and externally for the most part, right? Especially as it relates to women and equality, it, 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 it's relatable. So, People do understand that if you're going to let the winds change you, that's good for some, but I don't think for the whole, it really works. And really it's about authenticity and is the brand authentic, right? Is, is it authentic to what they're saying, what they're caring about, what, what, what their ESG goals are? You know, we talked about, remember we talked last week where we were saying like every CEO has more than one of the sustainable development goals that they care about. Sure. And um, I mean, 
I say the greatest, there are two of the goals that relate to equality. And I would say most brands use one of those two um, goals on their, um, or in their, in their corporate reporting, right? And you see that you can see the, you can see them on the, on the, on the corporate report. And so it has to be done or it has to be addressed, but that goes back to what Zoe's saying. Are they in this moment, in this highly American politicized moment, how much do they say? Right. And is this just an American thing? I mean, is this uh, an American thing? I mean, I see it, obviously, it's far, oh, no. it's, far, it's actually far more prevalent in Europe and yeah. they're far farther ahead than we are. So, I mean, you know, I, I, you know, I know that this is a global, you know, moving forward and what's a global trend, but I mean, you know, Europe's far more advanced on the circular economy side of things and, you know, far more advanced on the social impact side of things. Um, you know, it's requirement by law for certain things, um, you know, for, for the environment, you know, for environmental and, you know, here as well. But, it, you know, this is this is sweeping. This is the future. Is that kind of there is no choice like we're we're doing this. Yeah, we're doing this. And so, I mean, American companies that operate in Europe obviously have to they're beholden to to different standards. Um, I don't know if I would agree that Europe is ahead in everything. I mean, like if you look at DEI conversations, for example, the nature of the oh. discussions are, are pretty different in the U.S. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of other company, a lot of other countries are focusing more on gender, whereas we have a lot more nuances. We talk about race. I mean, you know, that's a very correct. Topic. I've actually so, seen that one. That's quite interesting. Um, yeah. You know, I, I would say you know they're a little bit more ahead on the social. I feel like maybe. Uh, in some cases, I oh, mean, in okay. some cases, oh, no, again, I think some of the, and if you just look broadly again with the, the DEI conversation, I mean, we have countries that are like from an LG, LGBTQ plus perspective are very different than the US. Um, so, so I think, in, you know, in some cases, but you look at where, where those countries, where are those countries socially as well? I mean, this isn't happening in a vacuum. A lot of our conversations around ESG in the US, you can trace the history. Like, it's interesting. We, when we talk about social, we have a couple of slides that say, people go, how did all of a sudden this happen? And we're like, no, it didn't. No, it didn't. I mean, you can look at legislation. You can look at some of the big events right. over a long period of time to go, well, this happened. And then this movement and this movement. But a lot of that is in the context of the US. And so you look at that and you're like, it's not surprising we are where we are if you really are a student of history. And so other countries obviously are in somewhat of a different spot because their context is very different. Those things that shape their culture are very different. Now, the U.S. is obviously very influential from a cultural perspective. And so, you know, if you look at post-George Floyd, I mean, we had European countries going, that affected us. This is an American event that had a global, a global effect. And so, you know, you see that as well. So I don't know if I'd say 100 percent, you know, that that one, one area is necessarily leading. I mean, there's definitely an ecosystem and as the supply chains become more and more length, you see how the different countries are affecting each other and influencing each other. But if you wanna do business in Europe, you're gonna to have to be aware of and adhere to some of those regulations and those standards. And how, will, how do you think our rolling back women's health rights affects us globally? Oh, I think it's, I think it's a detriment. I think ironically, things are, it's becoming more of a topic on a global scale because of what happened in the United States. Right. And 
other countries are putting more protections in place, probably as a result of ours in the United States being pulled back. So I've been mean, seeing that, but then unfortunately, there's some other ones that are following trend with, you know, certain states in the United States that are saying, well, oh, they did in the States, so it's okay. You know, it's no big deal. You know, we could do that too. So there's a split. I think, I think on the developed side, there's a significant amount of, you know, we are making this law. You cannot refuse this. You can't change this, et cetera, et cetera, in multiple other countries, especially related to women's, uh, women's health and women's rights. And then the developing world, from what we I've been seeing, it's, it's split. <clears throat> it's split. There's some that are going forward in a very positive way. And then there's others that are like, well, the U.S. did certain things, so we're just going to follow them. And it's, you know, unfortunately, to the detriment of the women who don't have access to, you know, so many services um, there. And this is this is where it gets to, you know, there's so much open open communication and network flow and, you know, and, and which is wonderful that we're, you know, that communication has been so democratized and it's out there. Um, but it's also, you know, part of the downfalls and, and being a democracy, we can't control, you know, the good and the bad, you know, we can't just put out the good and not put the bad out. So, you know, that's, it, it's, it's negatively impacting a lot of the world, but it's really funny because I'm also seeing a lot more investment go into reproductive rights companies and organizations and um, a lot more investment funds. Like there's been three or four investment funds very specific for that spin out in the last six months um, or, or arms of them. And to say, you know what, this is not right. We want to fund other reproductive rights uh, companies. So uh, there's some good and some great things that are happening as a result of it. And then there's, you know, the others that are following suit in certain, you know, unfortunately in certain locations here in the United States. I mean, I'm curious because we're talking about the future. What about AI? You know, I'd be remiss not talking about it. And and we're going we're going and speaking about you know flow of information and communication and whatever. You know, there's there's obviously there's so so many so many segments of AI and you know we can talk about. But is there anything related to AI and ESG or you know or impact that that comes together maybe for the benefit? Let's hope like maybe you know for the good. Well, oh yeah. Go ahead, Mary. Yeah. Well, I was gonna. This is. I'm really a adding a question because because of um, AI and global healthcare, right? And and what the aggregate of the information that will be available in treatment. It feels to me. I mean, and I am certainly not an expert on AI, but it feels to me that the access will change, and I think everything about. This, this this sustainability issue and women's issues, everything's about access. So how will AI, like I, the question, the bigger question is, how will AI um, give women and women's health issues, especially in emerging countries, how will it give them more access? So I don't know the answer to that, but that, that is my second question. So Zoe, did you, did you want to, I did sort of- Yeah, I mean, I, you know, in general, I'm an optimist and I see AI as having some really good benefits. I mean, one of the things that we do around, you know, related to health is a lot of modeling. Okay, so what is the impact of doing X, Y, Z activity and how can AI help with that? And that can be extremely helpful. You know, just the ability to, again, data, process large amounts of data and to identify areas of need with areas of, uh, of services. I mean, I think there's a lot of potential good with AI that I find really exciting. I think, and I think there's been a lot of discussion about how AI also has the potential to reinforce bias. 
Um, it can eliminate bias, but can also reinforce bias. And so understanding that AI is not going to be a panacea for everything and that we have to understand when, when are good things baked in and when are bad things baked in and how do we mitigate some of those risks so that AI can be a tool, a force for good and not perpetuating some things that are already pretty bad. Right. I like the data play that you, you know, you, we come back to it, you know, they can process large amounts of data, which we mm -hmm. couldn't do in the past. So we can right. analyze these trends more faster and can probably react to them faster mm -hmm. instead of, you know, citing a report of, you know, data that was collected right. in, you know, 2018. Well, there's been a lot that's changed in 2018. So how about we process some data from, you know, right. 2023 and immediately react to that. Um, and, and, you know, obviously we see this in the health side of things, but like that is, is a huge advantage to a tool that we can use to, to hopefully, you know, move forward. And I, I, I hope, you know, there's, there's a lot of, we're not great things that are going to happen with AI, but I hope it's the, the, you know, my perspective and I play in this space quite a bit, you know, is that it's for good and we're going to improve people's lives and women's lives and, and people throughout the world. Like it has the capacity to do right. that. And I want to remind everybody, we've been using AI for 20 years. Like our mm -hmm. phones are built on AI. There's a difference between machine learning and generative, you know, AI, but like, you know, AI we've been using for years. Like this is not right. something new. It's just right. now it's even better and faster and we can hopefully harness it. Now that people are talking about it, the point is now we can harness it for good. And that's the hope. Right. Well, you know, here's, here's another, and so I think about machine learning when I, when I, that's where, where I was coming from, but I work with a company that really um, interests me. And it's the, it's the, it's the, it's the company I connect to most in my work. It's called Consent, and it's a it's a first party data consent platform that helps helps brands with their data privacy because the, those rules have changed. That ship has sailed in in, right. in in Europe and around the world, and in the U.S. it's coming, and people are not really ready for it. But if you look at everybody's, it's coming, right? And if you look at everybody's privacy statements, and what do women know about like nobody really understands what's happening to their data. And so now it's going to be, it's going to change dramatically. And each person is going to have the capability to manage their own data. So the team that I work with, I, I help them help brands collect data, but also use it for good, right? So to, to get the brand to engage more, to get the brand to engage more with their consumer based on their use of data, you know, how many people have gone in to see like who's collecting what data about you? Like there's a there's a whole data safety practice that that's going to change dramatically over the next couple of years. And I think that that I think that matters greatly to the individual. Mm -hmm. Think about all of our health issues. What do people know? And how can. What do people know about us that we don't know they know about us? Mm -hmm. So you know, it seems like every every part of this conversation has a has a way to the good and to the bad. But I'm, I'm hoping that if we're enabled and empowered to manage our own data, then we're we'll also want to be a part of. If you have cancer, you want to use your experience to share with the rest of the world what are best practices, what whatever the issue is. We want to be able to share in the right and correct manner. And also not have two of the bigger firms 
manage and keep and hide our data. Right. No, that's fair. So, right? yeah, no, totally. Um, I go from here to here, but. Yeah, yeah. No, no. Yeah. I mean, listen, there's, there's, there's benefits and negatives to everything, including yeah. ESG, including CSR, including everything. Like how can, how can smaller, you know, with both of your clients, you know, you know, all of you guys, you know, both of you are working with, you know, different levels and types of clients, like yeah. how do smaller companies, you know, and smaller nonprofits work with large ones to help them achieve their, you know, their ESG and their impact goals? Because, you know, for us at, you know, at Her Healthy Q, we found that strategic partnerships and alliances, mm -hmm. are, they're the key to our success. They're also the key yeah. to the corporation's success too. So, you know, if you're not one of the top 10 nonprofits, I mean, what do you do? How do you, you know, how, how do your clients engage? Like, how, how do they get in? How do they find them? You know, the smaller ones. Well, I think there's, I think there's two different questions embedded in that. So one is what value can they provide? And the other is maybe how do they get involved? And I think with the value that they provide, what I've seen, and I don't think this is, this is new, but a definite recognition and appreciation that larger corporations don't need to reinvent the wheel. And especially when it comes to community outreach and a lot of the nonprofits that I have seen have, have a niche, they have their constituencies and they're very good at that. And so the smart larger companies are going, I want to take advantage of that. I want to amplify that. I don't want to redo that. And so I think part of it is, is understanding, okay, are you, the, the nonprofits, at least that I've seen a lot of them, they're much closer to the the end, the end goal than the corporations. And so how do you provide a conduit? So this corporation either has the funding or has maybe some of the, has the platform to have the larger conversation, not, but they need that immediacy that comes with the smaller nonprofits because the smaller nonprofits usually are very deeply immersed in their communities, you know, in their topic area. And so it's the matching up. So I don't consider that to be any sort of a barrier, not from, from what I've seen. I think the, how do you get in is a, is a different conversation. And that can be, I mean, there is the CSR route, you know, pretty much every company has got somebody who's in charge of community outreach. I think that is one, but then kind of back to the earlier discussion is, okay, nonprof, how do you see yourself as providing value to somebody's end game? So are you, what can your mission do to either support the top line or the bottom line efforts of this for-profit company? And if you can talk to them about that, how you're going to help either reach more customers, um, you're gonna help them say their message better, whatever the case is, they're gonna be right there. So it's understanding how do you talk about your value and who's the one who's gonna be ultimately caring about the value in that way and how, if you can be seen solving their problem, then getting involved shouldn't be that hard. Right, and the other thing is, and that's exactly right, and there's, but the point is that there's so many, 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 many nonprofits, right? So, I mean, not on this call or on this video, but I have an idea for you, Marissa, but I think about there's an emergence of, of nonprofit engagement from brands because there are platforms that aggregate nonprofits to go to brands and to go to publishers to help the, this is the one-to-one -one again, to help the consumer decide what is the, the nonprofit that they're most interested in. And that they, they so you could you can join a platform for giving and it's, it's much more social, right? It's, it's much more around what's your social distribution and how do you engage with a brand socially and how do you get 
to it's either it either and again that can work both ways it can be to the employees or to the consumers like where I think that that's helpful because there's been an explosion of all these nonprofits which is incredible yep. and there's so much out there but there's also sometimes no oversight and there's also no amplification of the ones that are doing the right work and the good work and the you know then the correct work and then for you know there you know like there's also it, just like we need governance over everything there needs to be some sort of you know making sure that these are you know of course there's all the you know better business bureau and there's you know all the charity navigators and all of those things but you know the, the having the aggregator to find everybody together i mean mary we'll have a whole separate conversation about that <laughs> well i'm going to give a plug for a company called gibsley and they are fully vetted in all 50 states to be able to give for consumers to be able to choose for brands to be able to choose what donation can be made in their name in their zip code or in their city, right? So there are ways to do it that I think are really important. And there's also, you know, there's huge, there are huge aggregators of nonprofits. Look at what was it? Look at the United Way. They've been doing this for a really long time. You got to choose yeah. an employee where you yeah. want to put your money, right? Yeah. So, fledgling, uh, you know, global uh, giving. I mean, there's tons of them. So, we're getting to the end of our time. I just wanted to see, do you guys have any, any last minute thoughts um, that you wanted to share to the audience before we wrap up? The one thing I will say about that, I think it's um, similar on topic. One of the silver linings of ESG coming under more scrutiny, and I think this is true for the different elements of ESG. So whether it's diversity and inclusion or it's health equity is, if, if there's more questioning of the value, there's more of an opportunity to talk about the value. And I think it's actually a very good thing. And, you know, we have had at times a race to maybe, again, greenwash or, or paint a, a brush that makes everybody look good. And the questions weren't being asked. And for those of us who believe that ESG is good for business, bring it on. You know, we're ready to talk about the value because we believe there is value there. And so it gives you a platform to have that conversation. So kind of similar to what you were just talking about with the nonprofits. I would encourage nonprofits to understand how to speak about their value in the language of business, because that'll make those conversations a heck of a lot easier. That, I agree with that completely. Totally, totally. It's like, if you think about the, the, what does sustainability mean, it means giving back what you take away. So everyone has to start somewhere. Now, I think also women start way on the back, their back heels from time immemorial, but, but I know that, first of all, that could be a good thing for now in this time, because I think that it could put the topic to the forefront, but there is no company that can be silent and not have a cause or a purpose if they want people to work for them, if they want people to yeah. work for them, and True. They want to buy from them. It's a must, right? It's just about how do you go about it? And how, you know, what, how willing are you to take, if you're, a, if you're a, in the C-suite, how willing, like the guy who ran CVS, how willing are you to take a stand? They took cigarettes out of the store, the stock went down, but, you know, boy, did it in the long run. I, I forget the, I forget the, the numbers when it's, you know, five or six years ago or more, but that was a huge bellwether, right? Sure. If you make a stand, People are going to care about it. Fair. And Fair. There's, a lot of, there's a lot of Gen Z's out there that do. Yeah. No, no, that's fair. And there's some Gen Xers who care too. Yeah, Gen Xers, millennials around too. Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. Um, all right, ladies, thank you so much. We we can continue this for hours, I'm sure. Um, and, um, you know, thank you for being here. Please join us soon for another exciting Her Talks, where we'll talk about the topics that are really important for uh, impact, women, societal change, and how to ensure to better the world for, you know, with all of our work. Um, and until then, reach out to any of us to be part of the discussion. And if there's anything you'd like to discuss with her healthy, her healthy Q and or support our work around the world, um, you know, please reach out to me or my team. Um, I thank you both for being here and thank our listeners thank for listening. And um, thank you.